Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Thank you so much for spending the time with us here today. It's always a pleasure to have you. And as always, I want to make sure to give a shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Suttles Solution Media, helping to make this podcast possible. This is an episode that I hope and I'm sure will change your life. I'm excited to have our guest on the show today. Out of the West Coast, Chad Willardson, president and founder of Pacific Capital, joining us on the podcast. Chad, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. I love the West Coast, but I do love the East Coast. A lot of oh, good yeah. things out there. <laughs> Listen, we, we can have the best of both worlds, can't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, for all of our listeners, we have listeners on the podcast for No Rain, No Rainbows from California to the East Coast. Even shout out to all the listeners in Germany, France. We see you guys out there. Even the Philippines. I, I see you Love guys it. out there. Love um, it. And we appreciate you continuing to support us. And with that being said, now that you know where a lot of our audience is, Chad, I'd love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself uh, and kind of give give the audience an insight into who you are. So my name is Chad Willardson, and I'm a father of five. This year, I'm celebrating my 20-year anniversary. I got married young. You're probably thinking, what? There's no way he's been married 20 years. I am a lover of travel and sports. Those are two of my main passions. My five kids all play sports, everything from basketball, volleyball, football, soccer, gymnastics, pretty much you name it, we play it. For business, my passion is helping people enjoy life by removing their stress about money. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote the book last year in 2020 called Stress-Free Money, Overcome the Seven Obstacles to Find Financial Freedom. And Ted, uh, you probably don't know this, but I got a book coming out in August that's called Smart Not Spoiled. Hmm. It's the seven money skills your kids must master before leaving the nest. So I'm really, uh, it's something that I'm passionate about because I know people like me out there are wondering, how can I help raise children and kids who are smart about money and better than the generations before them? So, you know, how do you, how do you teach them to be good financially? And set them up for success instead of just, hey, you're 18 years old and you're not no longer in my household anymore. Good luck. Yeah. So the, the company I started is Pacific Capital. We serve clients all over the world. In fact, I just jumped off a Zoom call and the clients were in Florida. We've got one in South Carolina, Washington, and Switzerland. Those are our next four Zoom calls. So we can serve clients anywhere as a financial fiduciary. Primarily though, we're serving entrepreneurs and families who are looking for fiduciary planning advice and guidance. I spent nine years at Merrill Lynch in Southern California and then left and started Pacific Capital in 2011. So our 10 year anniversary is this year. And uh, frankly, I love what I do. Yeah. So I, I'm full of energy because it's every day is fun. Hey, and, and that's amazing. Congratulations on the 10 year for the Thank business. You. That's a huge milestone. Congratulations on the 20 years of marriage. It's a bigger <laughs> milestone. You. I would, I even would bigger think. milestone for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kind of connect with you afterwards and ask for some secrets as I'm getting married in July. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk about the inception of Pacific Capital because I think that it says a lot to the kind of person you are, it says a lot to the 
kind of financial advisor you are when you mentioned fiduciary and mm -hmm. your focus on benefiting the client. And I remember reading in your book, Stress-Free Money, that you were at a crossroads. I'd love for you to kind of depict that story again, even yeah. where you were when kind of things started to hit the fan and how that kind of led to the inception of Pacific Capital and what your goal is with the company. I, in fact, it's funny because we we just had a meeting with a nonprofit this morning who signed up to become a significant client for us. And I told the exact story this morning <laughs> because they asked, what's the difference of working for with a fiduciary? And I, and I said, it, it all goes back to 2000. I think it was 2004. I don't remember, but I invested six months of time in trying to win this potential client. And it was a big nonprofit. It would have been the, the largest client I've ever gotten. And after going through a series of months of interviews and qualifications and all this stuff I'm in front of this big board and committee, they chose me and my, and my team. And they said, we want to work with you guys. And they said, you just need to sign this document that you will be serving as our fiduciary. And I said, that sounds great. I took it back to management at Merrill Lynch and they said, uh, that's a no-go. We are not fiduciaries. We're a big investment bank. You can't do that. And so I had to kind of go back and put my tail between my legs and talk to them and say, I can't really do that, but I promise I'm going to do my best and this and that. And they said, no, we're sorry. Like we're only looking for an independent fiduciary to help manage uh, these funds and be a steward for our financial accounts. And it was then that really, I realized like there's a big difference with working with someone who works at a big bank or big insurance company versus working with someone who is an independent fiduciary. And I knew that that kind of seed was planted that I knew someday I would want to be a fully certified licensed fiduciary and only work for clients, not work for a big corporation. And so I understand that entrepreneurs are busy and they've got so many things going on. And sometimes the financial side is the last thing they're thinking of. And that's why entrepreneurs benefit from having a fiduciary who's got their back, who's really looking quick. out for their best interests. You know what I mean? And, and frankly, fiduciary who's also an entrepreneur, I'll yeah. say that, like, that's a big advantage. I've been in the trenches. I've, I've started businesses. I understand what it's like to have a payroll. So I give advice from experience and not from something I've read in a book. And really quick for some of the listeners who might not be well-versed in that financial sector and might not know what a fiduciary is, sure. enlighten us. Yeah. Fiduciary is a financial, essentially a financial agent professional who is required to always put clients' best interests first, even if it means lower income, lower profits, lower revenues for you, the financial professional. A fiduciary is not earning commissions from investments. A fiduciary has to show full transparency, disclose conflicts of interest. A fiduciary just works for you, the client. Whereas when I was, excuse me, when I was at Merrill Lynch, the big bank, you know, we could get paid with bonuses or quotas or investment fund companies would pay us or, or have incentive trips and things like that. There's none of that in a fiduciary world. We, we, it just doesn't exist. So we show a client, this is how much it costs to work with us. And either they want to pay it or they don't. There's no hidden agenda and there's no hidden fees. So what's crazy is 5% or 6% of the country's financial advisors are fiduciaries, which means 94 to 95% are not. And I think people don't realize that. It's like if you go to your doctor, you expect your doctor to just tell you what's good for your health. 
you'd be freaked out if your doctor had incentives to sell these pills versus these pills because these pills pay them three times as much. That's mm -hmm. a scary thought. And yet that's what happens every day in the financial world. Yeah. And I'd love for you to kind of like bridge that into real life experience because I know you were at a crossroads before starting Pacific Capital and, and right. it came kind of after the market crash of 2008. And yeah. I'd love to kind of pull back the curtain of really what launched Pacific Capital into its existence. I just had to decide, like there was a time where I was, I felt I described in the book, it was a tug of war. I had to decide, am I going to basically work for the big corporation my whole career? Or was I going to take that leap of faith and just say, I'm going all in for clients. I'm going to build a company that is built around the client experience. And ultimately, I just asked myself, like, why am I in this career in this industry? What do I really like about it? I can leave all the corporate perks behind. What I really like about it is sitting down with people and helping them map out their life and reach their personal goals. I love seeing when some like I'm one of those guys that loves those transformation pictures when someone like totally changes their health or their fitness because I can see the progress. And that's what I love to do with people financially. So that was the genesis of Pacific Capital. I just said, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to create a company that's built around the client experience that's suited especially for entrepreneurs and families, people who are busy, who have a lot of things going on, who care about those they're providing for. And let's see if this works. Unfortunately, we're making it to our 10-year anniversary this year. So knock on wood, it'll keep going well. Yeah. To another 10 more and another 10 more and another 10 That's more. Right. The name of the book, Stress-Free Money, Overcoming These Seven Obstacles to Financial Freedom. You just mentioned your passion for kind of laying out the plan. And one yeah. of the obstacles, I'm not going to give all the obstacles, but one of them is building that financial plan. I could tell how important it is because you spend almost a third of the book talking about it and yeah. how so many people avoid it. Maybe they avoid it because they don't know what it looks like. So- what tips would you give somebody on starting to build a financial plan? How would someone go about starting that, that maybe intimidating task? What kind yeah. of playbook steps would you give somebody to get that going? Step one is to really get away from your routine. And that's the thing is like everything we do is routine based. It's all habits. Like I've read that 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. We drive the same way to work. We, uh, you know, all of our stuff is a routine. So step outside of your routine, go somewhere different and think about what you really want. And that sounds pretty basic, but I don't think we do it very much. I, th I think we're just in our routine and we're, we're trying to live life in this fast pace that we're, we're living. But if you step outside and say, who's my future self? Like, who do I want to be in five and 10 years? What do I want my life to look like? You look at that vision board you have on the wall. It's like, what are some things that I'm saying yes to today that my future self would say no to? What do I really want my life to look like? And map it out. And then the financial stuff comes later. Like you can figure out the numbers of what your financial life might cost. But all of that is a waste of time if you don't know what you really want. Mm -hmm. So it, st it starts with clear personal goals that are written down. And if you have over 10 goals, you have none. So I, I would say, keep it simple. Focus on two or three things that you'd love to have in your life in five years, in 10 years, uh, maybe even longer than that. 
in 20 years, but it starts with clarity and vision of goals. And so if you come to a fiduciary advisor like me, you've got to clarify your vision for your future before I can help you. If you just come in and say, I have some money, I'm having issues with my budget. I have a retirement account. I have this and that. I want to pay less taxes. Like, you know, it's kind of tough to help you. You got to tell us more about what you really want so that we can map out a game plan to get you there. Yeah. And that's such a big reality for some folks, because if they decide, hey, they want to go on vacation four times a year, 10 years from now, that's going to cost a different amount than if they just want to maybe just camp out. Exactly. You don't know what you want. You don't know the price point of what it is you need. So, exactly. Yep. <laughs> You've got to clarify that. that. Exactly. I know a lot of people, and because of the lack of the information they might have gotten, have been given or searched for themselves, can make a lot of financial mistakes. Sure. What are some of the biggest financial mistakes folks make? And is there a financial mistake that's just way too big to come back from? So financial mistakes, I think the most common is overspending. I don't talk too much about it in the book, but the simplest way to build wealth is to spend less than you earn. Mm-hmm. And it's it sounds so obvious. And yet so much of our society is caught up with instant gratification and Amazon Prime and keeping up with the Joneses on Instagram. And it's like, if you can just get that habit set up for success, your future is, is going to be a lot more successful because you're not overspending. You're not putting your future self in a hole. So number one, know how much you earn and know how much you spend. Take a look at what you're spending money on. What are wants versus needs? Could you invest for growth and set your future self up for a a much more comfortable lifestyle? Another big mistake is that people don't start saving and investing early enough. They think I have to make certain salary before I'm going to start taking it seriously. And they're missing out. I posted on Instagram uh, a little graphic that showed someone who saves $1,000 starting at age 25, um, $1,000 a month, earning 8%. Someone who invests $1,000 a month, 8% earnings at age 35. And then someone who starts at age 45. And I'm going to actually pull it up to tell you the difference because this is what people don't get. It's the time value of money. It's how long you're invested. So the 25-year-old ends up with $3.4 million at age 65. The person who starts at 35 ends up with $1.46 million. The person who starts at 45 ends up with $590,000. So it's like five and a half times greater by starting earlier. And so no matter where you are, you, you might be 55, you might be 22, my advice is always like, if you're not investing regularly, get some money, get a success habit, set up an automatic transfer from your checking to an investment account. It could be anywhere. It could be a Vanguard or Schwab, some, something that you're putting money away and you're planting seeds for the future so that those investments can grow because compound interest and growth, that's going to be what, what saves the day in the future. You can't make up for those lost years. Yeah. I think it was Einstein that said compound interest is like the eighth or ninth wonder of the world or whatnot. That's right. Um, Absolutely. Folks might be hearing my pup go a little crazy as my fiance comes home. Um, No worries. (laughs) But you mentioned investing and that's a really good point in terms of the opportunity loss with the amount of time somebody waits. Right. What would you say to somebody who says, I simply don't make enough money to start investing? Because a lot of folks might think, 
well, you need thousands and thousands of dollars to start investing. What would you say to someone who doesn't think they're there yet? How much do they need? It's a good question. I, the more you can invest, the better. And yet everyone says, there are a lot of people who say, I don't make enough to invest. I'm going to have to wait. And that's, I would challenge you on that. I would ask you to look at your spending. I mean, if you have, if you have luxuries in your life that you maybe, maybe aren't necessary, things that you're spending money on that's more expensive than it needs to be. Even if you're saving or investing a hundred dollars a month, it's going to grow to something. So I believe no matter what level you're at, you can find a way to save a percentage of your income. And then over time, as your income increases, hopefully you stick to that percentage of investment and savings because you're not just going to say, oh, I got a pay raise and now I'm just going to spend the entire difference, but save and invest a portion of that. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can't make up for that lost time. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, one thing you mentioned about investing and saving and kind of taking a look at your finances, I know it's even in the book, you mentioned the tool mint.com. And I just sure. want to make sure I give that reference to our listeners. It's something I've been using for years. And one of the best features in it is you can literally look at your average spending per month. You could see what your month to month spending is. You can break down all your transactions and that is giving you a hard look at what your habits are, as you mentioned, for someone who is in, in that position, I simply don't have enough to invest. That might be the key and the time for you to take that good long look at your finances and find out exactly, okay, what's going on. So I'd, I'd say go to your budget and pretend you have to justify every expense on there. Like start <laughs> from scratch and say, okay, I have to make like, I have to argue a case for every expense that I made in the last three months. And I bet you're going to find a few things that are like, well, I guess I didn't really need to make that expense. I'm not saying live, you know, in a very unhappy and, you know, barely scraping by, but I'm confident that if you look hard enough, you can find some things to change or figure out a way to go make more money yeah. and use that to motivate you and say, you know what, I need to make a little bit more so I can invest something. Yeah. Whether it's Uber driving or picking up yeah. some freelance opportunities. Yes. And and the focus here is, I know we're talking a lot about money and for the listeners with no rain, no rainbows, a lot of the stress in our lives can come down to finances. And yes. I mean, with the book, Stress-Free Money, that's exactly what so many of us kind of really want to lean into. So I really hope our listeners are kind of grasping some of this value. If someone's at that threshold where they're ready to start investing and they're ready to kind of put that money in into the markets and, and start saving for their future and letting it grow, what should they focus on? What should be the focus when starting that process? Yeah. The first thing that someone should look at when they're making a decision of what to invest in is how long can I leave this money alone? So if someone comes to me and says, well, I'm saving up for a house in a year and a half, what stocks should I buy, Chad? And my answer is going to be none. Because a year and a half is too short of a time frame, and you've earmarked it for something very important like a house purchase. It's not worth the risk. It could go up or down in, in a year and a half, and you have no idea. But if you're saying, I can leave this money alone for at least seven, 10 years, that's different. Then you can really invest for growth. Then you can look at um, maybe some stock market ETFs, inexpensive, growth focused, something that's going to give you just that long-term appreciation that you're looking for. And that's something that you can do 
if it's a small amount, you could probably do it on your own. If it's a larger amount and, and you want to talk to an advisor, you can do that as well. Yeah. And I kind of want to reference this paralleling to the book though, because if somebody wants to take that daunting task and do it on their own, chances are they're going to do everything they can to immerse themselves and mm. they're going to look up all the resources they can. They're going to subscribe to Yahoo Finances, MSNBC, and they're going to kind of get all the tweets and emails, whatever they got to do. And it can, it can become pretty much information overload. It is, yeah. What are the pitfalls of that? Because I know you talk about it in your book, but I know a lot of listeners who, and I know this past year with 2020, some yeah. folks, actually a lot of folks spent their stimulus checks on investing, which is great, right. but yeah. you know they got into the whole Robin Hood. And if you're, yeah. you guys are listening to this, it's not too long after the whole GameStop fiasco and you have these yeah. Bitcoin. So you have these people who are getting into investing and they might say, oh, I can leave this money alone for years, but let me go in this, this. And they're kind of making decisions with the news that they're getting. What are the pitfalls right. of that? I think the difficulty is your successful investing is goals-based and planning-driven. It is not based on the news. It's not based on the outlook or the forecast, which are never correct. No one can predict what's going to happen in the short term of the stock market or anything else. Not with interest rates, not with real estate, not with the stock market. It's not possible. So long-term, it's very predictable. You can see the trends long-term. You can look back over 100 years or 30 years and see what's happened. The challenge is people get caught up in the emotions and the hype of the news or what's happening in a moment, and they make permanent decisions that really impact their financial life. Like in COVID-19, when the markets dropped 30 to 40%, a lot of people panicked, sold their investments after the big decline and said, I'll get back in when things look better. Well, now the markets are up 65, 70% in 12 months and they missed it because they reacted emotionally instead of being patient and long-term focused with their investments. And that's the challenge if you get sucked into that day-to-day -day information overload. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of just sticking to the plan thing kind of focused on the goal and long-term, I always say chess, not checkers. Yes. How did you first land in the world of finances? I'm interested to know back before Pacific Capital, before Merrill Lynch, what was uh, the spark that kind of put you in that world? I did an internship as a sophomore in college for a financial in, an investment research investment fund company. And I was interested. I, I just got excited about the markets and what was happening. My major was in economics, so I liked learning about the economy. But I wasn't passionate about just doing analysis. So I couldn't see myself just looking at spreadsheets and charts all day. I really wanted to work with people directly and see an impact for my job on people directly. And so when the opportunity came to when I, I met with a Maryland recruiter at college, and they basically said, hey, this is where you've got to meet with, talk to people, talk to strangers, learn about their goals and help them invest and make funny, good financial decisions. I thought, well, that could blend my interest in finance along with my interest in working with people. I wasn't obsessed with money or investing when I was a kid at all. I didn't know much about it, to be honest. Uh, we came from a pretty middle class family and I didn't have much money. We were pretty frugal growing up. 
my kids definitely have lots of privileges that I didn't have, which is why I'm writing the book smart, not spoiled. Cause I'm, I'm not going to let them be spoiled, but I'd say it really didn't start until college. I didn't know what I wanted to do really until I was close to graduating. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would kind of parallel that story of kind of figuring things out a little bit later in life, but it's awesome that you were able to merge the two passions. It was just curious on that. And I am excited for the smart, not spoiled book to come out. And I mean, Hey, the stress-free money book just came out in 2020 to already be having nothing, having another book come out. So I think you've been, you've been working really hard. I want to revert back to something you said about how long can I leave this money alone? Because there was yeah. something in the book that floored me about taking your retirement too early. And I think there are people who make those emotional decisions. They might find themselves in financial strains. And you know, unfortunately, some people might have had to tap into their 401k during the pandemic. And we can understand the circumstances there. But the repercussions of someone tapping into their retirement too early, taking their social security too early or anything like that. You said in the book how that's kind of taking a lifelong pay cut It is for the rest of your life. How important is it, I guess, to weigh all of the options and how can we find out what we're really giving up when we're kind of making these decisions later on in life? Yeah. Outside of just doing research online, I would say that's why clients utilize our services as a fiduciary because before they make any big financial decisions, they're going to check with us. And we're going to look, number one, we're going to look at the rules and the laws and the taxes and the implications of their decision. But we're also going to look at their financial goals and their plan. And we're going to actually keep them in check and say, you know, like a health coach would say, are you sure you want to eat those two donuts on Saturday morning? Because that's not part of the goals and the game plan that we're working on together. And it's it's kind of like that out accountability check that we can we can remind people the the long term impact of their decisions and their that they're making day to day, you know. Yeah, and because we are emotional creatures, it is great to have somebody outside where you can't see the forest when you're among the trees, but that right. person can kind of recalibrate you to your goals when you're kind of in an emotional state, wanting to make some drastic movements and decisions. Absolutely. That definitely bridges the gap and shares the need, not just for an advisor, but fiduciary as well. What would you tell somebody who's listening right now and they want to kind of start taking their money seriously? I know you have the book, which is a great resource going through it. I think I said before the podcast, I needed that book seven years ago or six years ago, (laughs) but I'm glad you wrote it now for all of our listeners and, and anybody in the future who could take advantage. But I mean, I know the journey of finances could be daunting. It could be overwhelming. It could be scary. How would you ease someone's, I guess, concerns on that and their stress around it before getting started? I think it's people ask, like, am I too young to start doing my financial planning and getting serious about this? And it's almost like a question of how long should I wait until I start getting physically healthy? You know, when should I start exercising and eating healthy food? The answer is probably yesterday or years ago, but if you haven't done it, it's not bad to start today. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's anyone that's too young to start taking their financial life seriously. My advice is to find a fiduciary advisor that you trust and just ask some initial questions. Most places it's not, it won't cost you any money to at least ask some initial questions. As long as you've done a little bit of homework and you're prepared for good advice, you're you're going to pay for it. But 
once you've got a little bit of means or a little bit of income, it's a worthy investment. I think setting yourself up right now and getting a great game plan is going to be worth the cost of the investment on your part versus trying to do it on your own for years and years and years and hoping it works out and then saying at some point, I'm going to have someone look at this. Mm-hmm. You could save yourself a lot of money by doing it right the first time. Yeah. And kind of bringing it full circle for folks listening. What does that stress-free money lifestyle look like? What does it look like when that plan is set, the investments yeah. have started, you're sticking to the plan years down the road, you you have some good habits built. What does that life look like for folks? We just had a couple leave our office recently and the wife said, it feels like a huge burden has been lifted off my shoulders. And that was the, just the clarity that comes from having a plan in place and understanding, get a validation check on things that you're thinking about and then getting a game plan to set up yourself for the future. I think it feels like it's liberating. It feels like you no longer are stressed or anxious about the day to day. You're not as worried about where your money's going because you've got a plan set up and you're you know, you're, you know, you're making the right decisions and you still have a ways to go. You're not done necessarily, but you at least have clarity on how to get there. Yeah. And I know a lot of folks that can't wait for that feeling as well. Chad Willardson, author of the book, Stress-Free Money, Overcome These Seven Obstacles to Financial Freedom. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We always love talking about the rainbows that our guests are working on. I know you have Smart Not Spoiled coming out. What are some of the other projects that you're working on or some more details about the book and the impact you hope it has? Yeah, you know what? I just, I'm getting into some kind of a partnership with a company that has the website called myfirstsale.com. And it is, it's designed to help kid entrepreneurs start their first little business. And it's really awesome. And I'm, I've got a call with him tomorrow, the founder of that company. And we're going to, we're going to incorporate some of that into the book and have some follow-up resources to really help the next generation learn how to be successful entrepreneurs and build a, a life of financial freedom. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome because I know a lot of us here with No Rain, No Rainbows, we talk about creating a life that is fulfilling and enjoying, but we also want to pass on that generational wealth. And that's really important to make sure that the habits and the outlook on life that we have, we can instill. And the values. Yeah. The habits and and the values. values. Yeah. Where can folks get in contact with you, follow your stuff, utilize your services if needed? I'd love for them to have an opportunity to find you online. Yeah, I'm I'm active daily on LinkedIn. I've got 31,000 connections and followers there. So follow me on LinkedIn and then pacificcapital.com is where you can connect. And if you want to have a goals conversation with our team, you can schedule one there. Perfect. And I'll have those links and all that in the show notes. And you're going to have another LinkedIn connection right after this episode. Awesome. I'll go ahead and send that if I didn't do so already. Chad, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. And I think our our listeners really got a lot of value on that. And now they have some actual, I guess, tools to get started on their financial plan. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Absolutely. And before we we let you go and before we let the listeners go, I just want to recap some of the notes and the tidbits, the bombs that Chad dropped along the way, because it's it's very important. We're, we're talking about our finances and money isn't everything, but just imagine the stress that can be lifted off your shoulders when you get that part of your life under control. Number one, we spent the first part of the, the podcast talking about the importance of finding a fiduciary, someone who's in it for you and not in it just for the, the extra incentive and the bonuses that they can get at the end of the year. You need somebody in your court. You need somebody in your corner and on your team to help you get to those goals that you're setting for yourself. Everything we do, it's all habits. So get outside of your routine, hone in and find out what it is your future looks like. What do you want your future to look like? And then build the financial plan on that because first understanding what you want can set the budget for what you need. And then that's when you can really kind of get to the fundamentals and the nitty gritty of the details of setting those financial goals. Plan it out, map it out, write it down. I think you even used the quote somewhere in the book, don't think it, ink it. And I love that. I'm going to write that down and use it one day. But writing down your goals is the first thing you could do to giving yourself the best bet at turning them into fruition. Spend less than you earn. We talk about cash flow a lot on the podcast. Chad mm-hmm. talks about cash flow in the book. Pay attention to your cash flow. Make sure there's more coming in than that's going out. And a lot of people always look at their budget and they try and reduce what they're spending. There are two ways to balance a budget. Yes, reduce what you're spending, cut the excessive costs where you can, but also look for those opportunities where you can increase your income because you can balance a scale two different ways. And then of course, how long can I leave this money alone? This is not a short game. This is the long game. This is not chess. This is checkers or this is not checkers. This is chess. Said that backwards the first time, but your way to financial freedom is the long game. Don't get emotional by the news that you receive each and every single day. Stay focused, stay driven and keep that goal in mind. And of course, have people like Chad, fiduciaries, Use his services if you need. You have the capabilities of contacting him. But yes, find somebody on your team to help keep you focused. And of course, I can't wait till you all experience that stress-free life and that stress-free money. Chad, thank you again for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you to our listeners and our audience and our viewers on YouTube. As always, if you enjoyed this, please give us that like, hit the subscribe button, share it with a friend. If you think they'll benefit from this too, you know who you got to share it with, someone you've been talking to for a while about making that budget. This is the episode you want to share with them really quick. And of course, if you love the podcast or you want to maybe give us some feedback, be sure to give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. It's the only way we get to improve. And if you really want to support the podcast monetarily, you can do so for as little as $1 a month on our Patreon page where you can hear extra audio and also some extra audio from Chad as he gave us some great feedback earlier in terms of what he would do if you were to lose everything and have to start over again tomorrow. Guys, thank you. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.